Diamondbacks beat the Rays last night at Chase Field in the opener of the three-game series, matching first-place teams. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. And for the latest on the Rays, we're now joined in the sports zone by Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Mark, good to have you on the show once again. It's been a while. Not bad on that. Uh, let's start with last night. The Diamondbacks ambushed Taj Bradley for five runs during a 40-pitch first inning. How would you describe Bradley's, I think it's safe to say, inconsistent rookie season? He's a 22-year-old, top-pitching prospect, etc. Yeah, it's been an interesting year. Uh, he was not really supposed to be on the big league team this year. They had a couple uh, injuries early in the season. They brought him up. They told him he was going to make one start. Uh, he did. It went well. Then someone else got hurt, and they said, hey, come back, come back, hang around a little bit longer. Uh, made a couple more starts. Uh, looked like things were going well. Then they sent him down to the minors and said they wanted him to work on a few things. I think there were some contractual benefits or service time benefits to that move as well. And then they brought him back, and they thought they had a, kind of struggling through uh, some inconsistencies with some other guys still in the rotation and said, you're our best young pitcher. Come back up. Stick around. You're going to be here for a while. And he's done really well. I mean, last night, uh, he, he they, you saw literally probably his worst start was followed his best start uh, five days earlier. So that's part of, as you said, the inconsistency of a young pitcher. Uh, and I think what kind of got him in trouble last night was just falling behind so much. It's something we haven't seen too often. So uh, see how he shakes back, you know, bounces back, shakes it off kind of thing. But to give up the four home runs uh, was definitely surprising to give up four runs before he got an out was definitely surprising. Really stuff that we hadn't seen from him. Yeah, I believe he'd only got up five home runs the whole season until last night. Uh, yep. Meanwhile, with the, the Rays' starting rotation injuries, is it imperative that Bradley be effective for the long haul this season, and how might they manage his innings for the rest of this season? Yeah, that's a good question, and, and I think um, it's funny. The Rays are always known for their pitching depth and, and all the different creative ways and you know, inventing the opener a few years ago and all that, but uh, pitching depth, starting pitching depth is probably uh, number one or 1A on their to-do list here going into the trade deadline because they lost Jeffrey Springs for the year. They lost Drew Rasmussen for potentially the whole year, certainly a few months. Tyler Glass now missed the first two months, and he's been a little, a little inconsistent since he's been back. Uh, they just don't really have anyone else at AAA at this point. I think they're going to have to get some depth because, yeah, to rely on Taj Bradley as a 22-year-old and expect him to get through the whole year. Shane McClanahan, their best pitcher, left his last start uh, with a sore back. He's been pushed back. He would have pitched here. He's now pushed back to pitch Friday in Seattle. Um, Zach Eflin, who they signed as a free agent, has an injury history. He's been healthy for the most part. He missed a few starts early in the year. So it is. It's a little bit patched together. It's a little bit uh, uncharacteristic of the race. They not have the depth behind it. So I think they're going to have to do something because, as you say, they're going to have to watch innings there. And you know, Glass now, uh, if they can keep him healthy the rest of the year, they'd be more than happy with that. And then you know, have McClanahan, Eflin, and some question about Bradley. So it's a little bit, little bit of uh, I think from the race standpoint, a little bit of concern there over how that's going to all play out over these next three or four months. And they hope into well into October. So I mentioned McClanahan. You know, he left last week uh, with the, uh, the the back situation, and it appears they've dodged uh, a serious uh, injury, uh, you know, long term thing for at least now. 
He's been really, really good the last two years, elite the last two years, in fact. Why has he been so effective? I think what, what sets him apart in talking uh, to raise people and to people with other teams is the ability to have four really, really good pitches. Most starting pitchers have three good pitches or two really good ones and one pretty good one. Guys who only have one or two good pitches usually end up relievers, so you have the four versatile deeper repertoire so you can face the same hitter a number of times in the same game as the starter does. And McClanahan has that. He has four elite pitches. There's a, a comparison that the Rays organization makes more internally because I don't think you'd have, it would have the same national appeal, but similar to what Blake Snell had when he was with the Rays and he won a Cy Young Award. And, uh, it's just that power fastball uh, and then the ability to mix the changeup, the curve, the cutter, just to have all the different pitches and to be able to catch hitters with different looks. McClanahan has incredible movement. He has incredible power, and he has the confidence to throw all those pitches. So that that's what sets him apart. Uh, you know, obviously, as you know, a back issue, it's one of those kind of nebulous things. Is it a one-time thing and he's fine, or is it something that bothers him going forward? Is it the reason he came out of the game the other night wasn't because no anyone knew his back hurt, his velocity had dropped, and the Rays were obviously very concerned. And as you said, relieved that he said it was just his back was sore. Mark Topkin, the Tampa Bay Times, currently in the sports zone. You mentioned Rasmus, and he went in the injured list uh, the day after he dominated the Yankees in New York. Uh, any guesses as to what his status might be moving forward here? Yeah, it's funny. I've been, a bunch of people have been asking lately on social media, which makes me think there must be some kind of fantasy baseball roster deadline, something coming up. <laughs> A lot of people have been asking. Uh, the deal with Rasmussen was eight weeks of total shutdown, then go see the doctor again, and then assuming that the images show whatever they want him to show, then literally start as if you know he's never played catch before. Pick up the ball, throw lightly one day, you know, move at ten feet, then at twenty feet. So until he gets back to the eight weeks, get to the doctor, get clear to start throwing again. And then honestly, probably another couple weeks into that till he actually starts throwing with some, you know, velocity and force to know if there's any symptoms or anything. So it's just still in that window of it has, they don't know yet. Okay. As a fantasy baseball owner, I'll, I'll just tell you uh, for your, your much needed information that uh, we are desperate for starting pitchers. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was That's, just funny. Like within a, like about a week ago, a bunch of people started yeah, asking and I just yeah. thought there must be something coming up. So gotcha. If there's no deadline I'm aware of, depending on what league you're in, but it's just right. we need we need just people that can throw like Looking five everywhere. innings in a start. Gotcha. You know, it's it's gotcha. insane. Okay, gotcha. I promise I will get to the uh, the uh, dynamic offense here soon, but I want to ask about Eflin. Sure. You mentioned him. He's nine and three with the three thirty five run run average. Why did the Rays target Eflin in the free agency, and why has he been so good? Well, the first question is, that was a mystery uh, to everyone. And, you know, covering the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times, I feel like I usually have some pulse of what they're thinking and what they're doing or uh, some general idea. And if, if we would have talked at the start of the offseason and you would have told me, hey, I, I have a buddy, you know, the Rays are going to sign a player to the biggest free agent contract they ever have. Uh, you just got to figure out who it is. We would have been up all night before I would have ever got to Zach Eflin on that list. So, uh, kudos to them for spotting a guy that uh, they saw the upside in 
uh, you know, health was an issue with Philadelphia, but also, um, and, and this is no secret or, or slamming on the Phillies, but he played in uh, in front of a porous defense for a number of years there, and he played in a small ballpark. So the Rays mm-hmm. thought, you know, had the statistical, you know, wisdom and, and analytical evidence that in front of their defense, which is much, much better than the Phillies' defense, and in the play, pitching half his games in their ballpark, which typically is not a very uh, offensive-friendly ballpark, should make him better, and it certainly has. And also, he's just a great guy. He is uh, just talking to him. And, and you know, that, does that help you win a game? No. Does it help you be a good teammate and help the team? Yes. And, and he is just a great guy, very empathetic, uh, very much do-whatever-the-team-needs kind of person, and, and they welcome that in their clubhouse. All right. On to the offense, finally. Uh, first in the AL and a lot of things, homers, steals, OPS. What, what, <clears throat> excuse me, what has been most impressive to you about the Rays offense? Well, probably overall just the depth of it, to have the number of players that they have having good offensive seasons. I mean, the home run last night by Jose Siri, he, he leads the team in home runs, which is another bet I would have lost had, had we talked at the start of the season, was at the halfway point who's going to lead the team in home runs. It was definitely – not have been Jose Siri on my list. Uh, but what, when you look at some of the individuals, the improvement Randy Rosarena has made to become a full full all-around player. He takes a lot of walks now. He'll go the other way with pitches. He's not trying to hit every ball out of the ballpark. And, and also his emergence as a, a, a local, national, and an international uh, fan favorite with his play for Team Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. Um, and, and then, you know, like I said, just going through the depth of it and to see – uh, what um, I'm just trying to I just pick different people here. What Isaac Paredes has done, what Yandy Diaz has done, he's going to should start the All Star game and, and his emergence. He's a guy who they've always talked about being a great contact hitter, willing to go the other way, works patient at bats, and, and this is interesting because they signed him to a three year deal, not for a ton of money, I think it was 25 million or so, three years uh, contract this off season, but he's never had a long term deal before. And he was going to be going through the arbitration process, and and you know they they tend to you know move on from players who start making more money in arbitration, uh, and signed him, told him you're here for a bit, and that allowed him to kind of take some chances at the plate now, where he's he's willing to take a cut and try to hit a ball out of the ballpark, where in the past he was playing it safe a little bit and punching that ball for a single maybe to right field or, or pulling it down the line on the ground. And suddenly he's hitting with a lot of power, and he's on base percentage. It's been remarkable, even better. But they've gotten so much from so many of those people, and then some lesser-known guys, Harold Ramirez, uh, Christian Bethencourt, the catcher. Taylor Walls got off to a great start. He's pulled offensively. And, and then Wander Franco, who has shown flashes but has really not had a super hot streak yet this year, and, and a guy that you know they feel and continue to feel uh, has the talent to be a superstar player. I'll get to Franco a little more in a second here. First up, the number of home runs they have in a you know what's considered to be a pitcher's ballpark. How have they been able to pull that off? Yeah, that's a little bit of a question, and I know it's been the subject of uh, some some people in the media industries uh, fun fun little poking around on that and, and wondering, questioning it. But I think what you've seen is a bunch of hitters or a group of hitters that, in changing, <clears throat> as I mentioned with Diaz, changing their approach a little bit and just the confidence that they play off each other. Because it, it seems like when they hit home runs, they hit two or three <clears throat> excuse me, in every game. And that, that, I think, is a group kind of a groupthink effort. Uh, and you know, talking to the hitting coach, he says it's really just been a remarkable difference in 
how they took to the left. And they got humbled last year. They were really bad offensively last year. Their playoff ended in two games where they scored one run on a solo homer uh, at Cleveland. So he said it was a very uh, welcoming group of players this year who said when they said, we're going to try to change our approach here. And that approach was to be more selective at the plate and swing at pitches you can really drive and try to hit the ball either really hard or out of the ballpark. And that's worked so far, even in Tropicana Field. Talking Rays with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Okay, last week, you know, Franco was benched for two games. Kevin Cash said over the course of the season, there have probably been multiple times that the way he has handled his frustrations have not been the way that we ask our players to uphold being the, being the best teammate. What specifically is Cash talking about there? Yeah, there there were a couple things over the course, as he said, of, of a couple months that had built up. Uh, obviously, not privy to everything. Uh, we're you know we're we're around the team as media, but we're not in there. You know that hour and a half, two hours before the game, we're not in there right after. But the planes, back room, so we don't see it all. But from what we, or at least from what I heard and talked to people about, found out about some of which we saw. Uh, Getting into it with some teammates verbally, including once or twice in the dugout, where, like I said, TV caught a snippet of it, you know, yelling at other teammates about things that happen on the field. Um, for lack of a better word, throwing major hissy fits after striking out, getting called out, and, you know, slamming bats, throwing helmets, um, things like that. Not um, just not uh, kind of letting things go. In other words, having a bad moment on the field, and then the next at bat, not running out and at bat, not running out a fly ball, a ground ball. Uh, made a mistake uh, in a game in San Diego, I think it was, last weekend. It com- made a, compounded it by making another error and didn't chase after an errant throw that got by him. You know, just kind of more focused on his mistakes, I guess you would assume that was the thought process. But things that a 22-year-old uh, playing in the big leagues for his third year already and who has always been – you know, touted and considered the greatest prospect and has eyes on him from everywhere, those, those kind of things. Yeah, the fact that they did that, how much does this say how unified the organization is and Cash as, you know, the manager and the guy we hear from pretty much every day, right? Uh, yeah. The fact that he's the most heard you know, person in the organization, him coming out and talking about that publicly. Yeah, that was very surprising because uh, you know I've covered the Rays all, all 26 years, and certainly uh, since Cash took over as manager in 2015, and I could only think of one time uh, in his tenure when he disciplined a player publicly. Uh, actually, has an Arizona connection. He took Steven Souza Jr. out of a game for not mm-hmm. hustling. And his, I think it was in his second year in 2016. He didn't, and in his post game, we asked Cash, "Why did you take him out?" And he goes, "Oh, just internal, you know, not going to say, keep it in house." But then talking to Sousa afterward, he did as you know, you as a journalist, you appreciate. He said, "No, he took me out of the game because I didn't hustle. He told me I wasn't setting a good example." Da 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 da. And Cash, you know, Cash kind of said then into himself, but you know, just hearing this from others, that he, he just didn't like the way that played out. He didn't like that being a subject of conversation in the clubhouse for a couple of days, being subject to media. So they would, he wasn't going to do things like that publicly anymore. So it was. You're absolutely right. It was. It was bold. Uh, it was different. It was surprising that they were public with this. They could have just as easily said, told Franco to stay home for a couple of days, and told him they were going to tell the media he had a stomach ache or you know wasn't feeling well or something. So 
Uh, it, it was done for a reason. It was obviously done in the you know, uniform, uh, the whole organization in agreement on this. They are a very communicative organization. This wasn't anything just Kevin Cash went rogue on or, or anything like that. And uh, they had many discussions top to bottom and decided this was the best move. And, and I think part of that, uh, Bob, really was this was a disciplinary action against Wander Franco, but this was also a message to the rest of the team that the management saw what was going on. They saw he wasn't doing things right, and they were going to say something. They were going to take action. So the rest of the team knew that nobody, including the young star who has the $182 million contract, was above the rules. Last up, you mentioned the trade deadline roughly a month away. Uh, you mentioned starting pitching. Uh, you know, any idea of a couple of guys? I saw it's really tough because of the way that this season's going in baseball. I don't even have a clue who's a buyer or a seller, but any idea what kind of guys they would pinpoint? And how tough is it for the Rays to actually make a trade these days? Because it seems like they have a, uh, let's say, upper hand on the majority of the trades they made over the years. <laughs> You mean their reputation precedes them and, and certain teams just hang up the phone when they call, right? Yeah, back to, back, to my, back to my fantasy baseball thing. Yeah, Whenever they do right. something, like I tried to get Eflin, and I didn't even yeah. like Eflin before this year. Right, <laughs> right. you're like, oh, the Rays like him, I should get him, right? No, we were, they, made exactly. a small trade. they made a small trade a couple weeks ago with Pittsburgh to get a reliever. And yeah. uh, it was just weird. The Pirates organization, from what I understand, is usually very tight-lipped and uh, about information getting out and stuff. And, like, all their media had the trade before the Rays announced it. So it was it was leaked from that side. And somebody said their speculation was they wanted to get to their media ahead of time and tell them, don't write this as another trade after the Chris Archer thing. This is a thing. Don't worry about <laughs> oh, it. Like, right. <laughs> they were preemptive strikes. But, look, I, I think – uh, the start, if, assuming they get a starting pitcher, I think that's going to be just a, a mid-level type depth guy to be, maybe you know that fourth guy or potentially even just a fifth guy who can also swing into the pen just to provide that depth, but also that could step in if they have another injury. I don't think that's going to be a flashy name. You're not. It's not going to be Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer or, or anything like that. But I do think that they're also going to look for a reliever who can have some impact because the, they've been vulnerable at the back end of games. Uh, they've got a closer who, when he's healthy, can be really good, but has been on the injured list twice this year, Pete Fairbanks, and has, uh, for people who have this, it's, it's not something to joke about, Ray Nod syndrome, where his fingers get numb in cold weather. And unfortunately, the baseball playoffs are often played in cold weather, and he wasn't able to pitch in Cleveland last year because of that. So they've got to have you know some practical concern over that. Jason Adams is very inconsistent. Um, so I think they're going to look for uh, some middle to high leverage relief help as well. Now, typically, you know, the Rays do win a lot of trades. They also typically don't compete for the biggest name guys. They get these under the radar type guys, Bob, as you alluded to, and they have kind of a, a really deep, almost a treasure trove of uh, infield prospects this year, position player prospects. Usually they're deep in pitching. They're deep in a lot of infield prospects, a lot of guys who've hit really well in the minor leagues. So, They've got the cachet. Talking to the general manager, he says uh, they've got the backing of ownership to spend uh, some money to take on some salary if necessary. Kind of a, I, I believe Pete Benix is the GM. I think his quote, and not verbatim, but was, we feel like this is a team that can do some special things. We want to do everything we can to give it every chance to win a World Series. 
All right, Mark, we appreciate it. I think we're covering, uh, at least to me, the two most fun teams to watch on a daily basis. So keep having fun. Yeah, very fun. It was just a quick aside. It was fun catching up with Evan Longoria last night, too, who was obviously the most, uh, yeah. the most successful and best player in Rays history. Yeah, very cool. Thank you. Appreciate it as All always. Right. And um, sure, we'll be catching up, catching up later in the season because they're not going anywhere. So thanks. Sounds good. Sounds good, Bob. Mark, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times.